Hey everybody, my name is John Lewis, aka Badass Vegan. I am a film director and I'm just getting finished with my first film called They're Trying to Kill Us. So this is the neighborhood I grew up in, right in Ferguson. A friend of mine was actually shot in his driveway right there. You put drugs in the communities, put guns in the communities, you put disease in the communities, put poor food in the communities. All these things are designed to showing your life expectancy. It's by design. It is not accidental that this is what's in the hood and this is what's over there. There's actually an active hand in making sure that we living like this. It's all about control, money, and survival to them. Your death is not an expense to them. It's an expense to you. They're trying to make money from us, even if it's at the expense of killing us. You just die slow. Your family just watches you die. The alcohol industry fast food industries, tobacco industries, target communities of color. Your health is not their main priority. They're trying to keep you sick. We are in a state of emergency when it comes to our health. Keeping people sick is very lucrative. Now you want pills. Now you want dialysis. Now you want medicine. You go into the hospital on a regular to see your doctor. Everybody's getting paid, except you. Big pharma and pharmaceutical companies are making billions of dollars off of all of us. As long as they can make that dollar, they don't care if you live or die. It's something about being here that's making black people sick. Everybody's getting paid, except you. You hurt me. There are more dangerous and harmful chemicals and products made for women of color. It absolutely is a crisis. They don't make a dime if you're healthy. It's kind of like the dope gang. It is the dope gang. It's just a bigger gangster, the mob boss. Look at the hidden hand, you see that government is feeding the crisis. We're fed wrong knowledge, sized all the wrong food. It's about money over people's health. If you can control a population's access to food, you can control the person. Only about 8% of African Americans even live in communities that have a grocery store in them. Because the deep root problem is the food. Because poor diets kill more brothers than pistols. You know, we fighting for our lives. That's like Michael Vick's pit bulls. As black men, we're dying off so quickly in so many ways. It's here, pocketed in our communities. We don't want a healthy population. That is injustice, plain and simple. The powers that be are making that money at the top. They trying to kill us. That is the trailer for the upcoming doc, They're Trying to Kill Us. And this is Factual America. Factual America is produced by Alamo Pictures, a production company specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for an international audience. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood, and every week we look at America through the lens of documentary filmmaking by interviewing filmmakers and experts on the American experience. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures to be the first to hear about new productions, to find out where you can see our films, and to connect with our team. In our final episode of Season 1, we're joined by John Lewis, a.k.a. Badass Vegan. John's upcoming doc, They're Trying to Kill Us, touches on so many of the issues that we've looked at this year on the podcast. Factory farming, race, and big pharma, just to name a few, but through the unique lens of hip-hop. John's life is literally the material for a great movie, as we found out recently when we joined John from his home in Wilmington, North Carolina. John Lewis, welcome to Factual America. John, how are things there in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty good. Uh, Just relaxing. I've been pretty much in my own little zone between working on the film, working on the book, working out and just being a family man. So it's it's been good because I I travel probably 100,000 miles a year. And this is the one time I don't even think I've reached, you know, (laughs) 5,000 at that. You know, so it's, it's, it's been good to be here and just focus on things and, and get things in order. And imagine your family's quite happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife, maybe not so much. My kids, yeah. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. I hear you. I know where you're coming from. Uh, <laughs> hey, so do you want to be known as John or should I call you badass? How do you want to be? Uh... I mean, badass has a nice ring to it. It doesn't hurt my feelings. But yeah, I, um, it's so funny because, you know, the passing of John Lewis, the civil rights leader. Right, that, right. That's actually why I kept that name. I was going to change that name 
about 20 years ago. And mm. a good friend of mine who was an elder, uh, he was like, you know what? You should, you should really look into that name before you change it. He's like, yeah. that, that, that yeah. name's got a lot of power to it. And I remember looking it up, but I was just astonished. Yeah. I was like, wow. I was like, okay, I, I think I'm going to stick with this name. Okay. I think that's a very good point. I mean, I think it also brings us to a good point in terms of, uh, I mean, thank you again for coming onto the podcast. It's uh, for our listeners out there who've stuck through us the, with us in this crazy year. This is our 26th and last episode of season one. And I think you're the perfect final guest for our uh, first season, uh, John, because I mean, I think a lot of the issues we're going to talk about today, we've touched on throughout this season. We've dealt, we've had two episodes on factory farming, which mm-hmm. in, also touches on big pharma. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was episode six. We did a film on, you may have heard of it, Soilism. We did a episode 10. We looked at eating animals, the Natalie Portman film mm-hmm. on this. We've touched on race a number of times. Uh, episode nine, we looked at capital punishment and this BBC series called Life and Death Row. Uh, we did episode 13. We did Je- James Baldwin and I'm Not Your Negro. Uh, we've looked at Big Pharma. Episode 12 was uh, opioid addiction and talk about the mm-hmm. scandal that that is. And yeah. uh, in a film called This Drug May Kill You, which is a similar title to your film. Um, and then uh, race and hip hop again. We've done, um, we looked at doo-wop and how uh, a lot of, uh, well, certainly uh, black uh, and African-American singers didn't get their due. And we've got uh, the m- most recent episode, we've looked at uh, the history of jazz dance, which is actually the history of America, really, and African-Americans in America and um, mm-hmm. some big figures in, um, in uh, hip hop. So, that's a long-winded way of me uh, sort of mansplaining, basically, that uh, thanks for helping us bring season one to a close and to, I think, teeing us quite well up for season two. So, I appreciate um, the invite. Yeah, no, it's no, no problem. Eight. Now, we're going to do things a little differently today because, uh, okay. well, you're in a little di- bit different world than some of our filmmakers that come on. Usually they've got uh, the films finished or it's in post-production. But uh, your film, They're Trying to Kill Us. Uh, well, tell us where you are on the project right now. We're, we're pretty close to the end. I say we're about 80% done. Uh, we okay. were scheduled to be done in June, but when everything happened, we kind of had to take a halt on the actual interview process. Um, yeah. with, our, with our film being so interview-based, you know, having to go to people to interview them, it was kind of tough to get people to sit down and have an interview. Uh, at the beginning, which, which was understandable on both ends for the safety. You know, we didn't mm-hmm. know what was going on. Things are, you know, we still kind of don't know what's going on, but um, I would say we're about 80% now. We've been really, really focused on the aspect of the editing part. So it kind of gave us a window to just really focus on that. Mm-hmm. And we put together a, a solid 80% of the film, which right now it's just going to be about kind of like dropping in the interviews where we see fit. So it's like, we have a template ready yeah. and we can kind of say, Hey, we're missing this. Let's go talk to this person, talk right. to this person and then fit it in. Okay. And you've got, but most of your B roll all kind of sorted and that kind of stuff. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's such a tricky system. Like this is my first large project. I've done yeah. quite a few smaller ones, but yeah. this is my first large project. And it's like, there's so many segments that, okay, this is stored here. This is stored here. Oh man. Remember we were, and the good thing is there's yeah. two brains working with Keegan yeah. and I. Yeah. So if I forget something, hopefully he remembers, but it's just so much that we have over 125 interviews already. Wow. So imagine, wow. you know, deciphering between, Oh man, remember he said this one time, if we go back to this date, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. You have to have a mind <laughs> like an encyclopedia. I mean, well, tell us yeah. a, little bit about, uh, a little more about the project. I mean, who's, uh, so you mentioned your co-director. It's, uh, is it Keegan Kuhn, right? Yes, Keegan Kuhn. He's, uh, if anybody's seen Cowspiracy or What the Health, or he also made another documentary called Running for Good. Um, he co-directed and uh, wrote that as well and produced those films. So he's, uh, he's, he's a, He's legit in the game of documentaries. He knows what he's doing. And uh, while I, like I said, while I know a little bit about filmmaking, I'm learning on the fly and he's been teaching me a lot as we go along. And it's just been, it was just an epic scene I had in my head as far as the film went. 
And he was like, you know what? I like that. Let's go with it. Because he approached me about actually doing something together. Was that right? Uh, I was going to ask you how that, how you got together. Yeah, we, we've known each other for years. And mm. we were at some vegan festival. I won't even name the name of it because I don't want to make them feel bad. But it was like nobody there. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I own a protein shake company and yeah. he had a table for his cowspiracy movie at the time. What the hell wasn't even out yet. And, uh, he came over to my booth. He's like, Hey man, uh, I was wondering, can you come to my booth? I want to talk to you about something. And I looked around. I was like, Keegan, nobody's here. I can leave the booth. It's fine. Like, <laughs> right. so we go over there. He's like, man, I want to work with you on a project. I just don't know where to, to do it. And I said, well, you know what? I said, whatever we do, I want to, I want to focus on people of color. You know, like I want to help them out to see this. He was like, that's good. But how do we do it? And I was like, hip-hop that was my first word out of my mm. mouth it's like it is the biggest genre ever it's the most influential genre and i always tell people if you want to really see the impact of hip-hop if you close your eyes especially here in america if you close your eyes and imagine six foot white guys on ice skates with jay-z playing in the background you just described the nhl the national yeah. hockey league it was like <laughs> Think about that. Like, you know what I'm saying? That's powerful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you know, everybody listens to what they eat, you know, how they drink, what they uh, wear, where they travel to, you know, the gadgets they have. Why not show that they actually do care about the health, too? Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't see that part. And that's that's pretty much where the premise came. But we interviewed doctors, politicians, lawyers, um, health practitioners every everybody in the film it's not just stuck on hip-hop even yeah. even athletes too okay yeah notice that um i mean maybe uh f so for all our listeners um so they've seen the they've listened to or uh, some have seen it if they're on youtube have uh, seen the uh, the trailer but maybe mm -hmm. give us uh, where you are now i know it's only 80 percent uh finished but uh what would what would be a synopsis of the film how how would you describe what what this is all about it's a film about food injustice and social justice through the lens of hip hop. Um, yeah. And we just want to, the main goal of the film is to, is to provide empowerment for people to understand that while they, I think they, I think people have been beat down so long that they believe that, you know, most of the health problems that we suffer from are hereditary and not uh, a choice of what we actually eat. And I use choice uh, pretty, Easily pretty stern yeah pretty in a sense that they sell a lot of junk but yeah. we buy the junk yeah it's it's yeah. up to us to kind of not buy it like you know they talk about food deserts a lot and what we're starting to see is that it's not necessarily that it's food deserts it's nutrition deserts there's mm -hmm. food there it's just no nutrition in the food right and money speaks volumes yeah. so it's up to the consumer to start buying the fresher items and the other items will start to leave, even if it's a convenience store. Cause at the end of the day, they just want to make money. So yeah. whatever the consumers yeah. are buying, they're going to provide. Yeah. You know, look at vegan rest. I mean, look at vegan items in restaurants now and KFC or, or Burger King. Yeah. It's not that it's not that KFC or Burger King is going vegan. It's just, yeah. they see his money in there. So they're going to well, do exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Let's. I, I'm. I'm very keen to talk more about that because I think what you said in terms of um, empowerment and uh, what the purpose of the film. But while we're still, while we still focus a little bit on the project specifically, um, mm -hmm. I mean, your your co-director. I think I saw somewhere you describe yourself as protagonist and narrator. So, uh, what is yeah. what's your role with this uh, with this project? Well, it starts off with me. Um, I was born in Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, some people know about the gang violence that was down there. And my mother yeah. moved to St. Louis, Missouri, which was Ferguson was the actual city we were in which, yeah. within St. Louis, which a lot of people heard about Mike Brown, things like that. And that's where yeah. I was raised. So, um, you know, just, you know, the stress that's involved in that and kind of environment already uh, can do a toll on anyone. Yeah. Um, and then also by the time I was a freshman in high school, I was around 315 pounds and, I, I'm 6'6 six, six now, but I was not 6'6 six, six as a freshman in high school. I was around 5'8". Uh, so I like to call myself chubby for, for, for my own pride. But in the end of the day, I was, I was obese, you know. And, yeah. and, you know, I look back at it like my mom did the best that she could with the knowledge that she had. Yeah. You know, yeah, we, we didn't really focus on 
where did this food come from? Who made mm. this food? Oh, this is an animal. Oh, you know, there's, you know, certain ailments, diseases associated with eating these yeah. processed meats and stuff. Like we, I can honestly say we had chicken something every day. Uh, yeah. Once my mom got like a Sam's wholesale card, it was just this oh, deep yeah. freezer of like, yeah. you know, processed foods that were just sitting in there. Um, and then, you know, fast forward along the way, uh, ended up going to grad school down in Miami. And that's when I kind of like took a turn um, because I, I finally went vegetarian after being there for like six months. I always wanted to do it, but I think I just had that peer pressure of being around family and friends. And then after doing that for about uh, two years, I had a, I was in my final week of grad school and I was doing my capstone and my brother kept calling me and I, and I was like, well, how's he calling me? He knows I'm in class. Long story short, he was calling me because my mom was very sick and they took her to the hospital to get checked up. And I'm a very happy, go lucky. I'm always trying to cheer people up and I get it from my mom. And this is the first time ever that when I asked her, I'm like, hey, mom, how you doing? She's like, well, son, I actually feel like shit. And I was like, whoa, like never, like my mom just knew how to, even if she did feel like it, she covered it up well. This is the one time she was like, I can't even hide it. And so my brother was like, you know, so we'll call you back. We'll see what's up. And I'm mind you, I'm in Miami. They're back in St. Louis. Yeah. And, you know, called me a couple of days later, said it was a uh, colon cancer. And so I remember talking to the doctors. I'm like, how did this happen? What's going on? And he's like, too much fried fatty foods, uh, too much animal protein. And I'm like, wait, this is not a hereditary thing. He's like, no, it's a lifestyle choice. And that hit me. You know, I didn't go vegan immediately, but I, you know, I remember going home doing more research and I'm like, wait a minute. So all these things are like heart disease, hypertension, you know, cancers. Like this is related to this animal protein that we've been, you know, told that if we don't have it, we're going to die. And I started looking at like all these people that live this like plant-based vegan lifestyle. And, you know, they were looking like they were like 30 and they were like 75. I'm like, wait, what's going on? (laughs) You know, like, you know, people say it's like a death certificate you're signing if you go vegan. And I'm like, I'm seeing the opposite. And so I, I decided to do it and, you know, it's been 14 years now. And so it's kind of showing my journey, but also like showing my journey and learning along the way. That's what the film was doing. It's like, I'm learning this process along with the crowd. Hey, for those of, uh, for those who are watching this on YouTube, tell them how old you are. <laughs> 43. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I mean, I'm. I say only. I'm only ten years older than you, but I've certainly. Uh, but you. Uh, you don't look forty three to me. I can. I can tell you that right now. Uh, and I think it's probably more than just uh, going to the gym on a regular basis. And yeah, yeah, it is. For kids. Oh man. Whew. <laughs> but I, but I also say you know along with the eating though I I don't stress anything. I I I don't stress like anything that happens to me. I'm not saying I don't deal with it. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't dwell in it, you know. Like I, a stressful, stress is a major component in aging and disease as well. You know, yeah. uh, it has a lot to do with that. And for some reason, I just, I lost the ability to stress, which I'm glad I did. But I just <laughs> don't know how to stress anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can. Uh, I mean, I, I've, I've looked at your. Uh, so I should give a shout out. We'll have it in the show notes. The uh, looked at your website. Uh, it's oh, badassvegan.com, I believe. Uh, and there's some great information on there. Um, I think what I found very interesting is your uh, this very holistic approach to health, I think you you bring to this. I think you, you know, it's not just, I think for maybe too long, we've all just been focused on one element of health in a lot of yeah. ways. You know, I don't know if you agree. Um, no, I, I do. Oh, definitely. You know, everybody's like, well, if you do this one thing, your whole life will work. I was like, no, it's a it's a constant practice. You know, yeah. I, I tell people all the time, they're like, well, how do you stay so happy? I'm like, OK, if you're trying to learn a language, you got to practice it every day. If you're trying to learn math, you got to you got to practice every day. If you want to yeah. be an engineer, you got to study every day. It's just like happiness and health falls right in that mm. in that same line. Like You have to do it every day. Like even when something does come at you the more you practice it, the more you understand that, okay, I can control my reaction to it. You know, I can control what I eat. You know, sometimes binge eating is a, is an emotional thing where it's mm. like, you know, I'm so upset at this situation. Well, if I kind of handle that 
in a sense where I understand myself and I understand my triggers, you know, and I know how to make myself happy in the long run, not a short term, then I can do better. And that's, that, that's what it comes down to the holistic approach, like mental, physical, spiritual, you know, like there's a lot of things that go down to that. And I'm not saying you have to be religious, but you have to tap yeah. into something else sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this, I mean, this gets down to so many things that are just sort of broadly, we could, sorry, we'd broadly describe as a society, if you will. I mean, I think we've, I mean, it seems like we've gotten to a point in humanity where we just want easy answers to everything. We just want to be able to snap our finger and things, everything be okay. Uh, and we've learned, stopped, learned, or forgotten how to cope. Um, yeah. The uh, Also with eating, I mean, how our, our culture and society has uh, evolved. Um, I've, I've raised this in a previous podcast as well, because I just remember, because um, well, I'm sure we'll talk more about veganism, but I just remember my father's, uh, God bless him, is 90, and I still have him uh, with me. But he always, when we were growing up, he said when they were growing up, they just had... Uh, they had one chicken on a Sunday and then that was it, you know, and it was rice and beans for, for the rest of the week, basically, yeah. and, and vegetables. It wasn't, so we've also come to this point where we've been told that we've got to eat all this protein. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And that's part of, and that's led to, and then that's conjunction with the factory farming and pushing all this stuff at us. I mean, I know what you mean by the Sam's wholesale. I mean, uh, the bags of processed chickens in the in the freezer, and uh, yeah. we even and we see it over here as well. I mean, the poorer areas. What are the supermarket the uh, the outlets that they have access to often are places that specialize in frozen and processed foods. Yeah, yeah, it's it's across the board from what I've I've kind of learned with a lot of countries. You know, it's yeah. just it's just a it's a system that has been put in place for years, mm-hmm. centuries. I don't even yeah. want to say years and, and cut it short, centuries. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 that's where I say about empowerment is that because it's been in place for centuries, we can't expect them to change it overnight mm. because most of the people that are involved in that system don't even believe they did anything wrong in the first place. So in order yeah. to get them to even see that something's wrong, then you got to implement a change. So it's kind of like why you want them at the top to come down and meet us and help us, mm-hmm. we also have to start down here and take care of ourselves and mm-hmm. progress. You know what I'm saying? I don't think we can wait on the governments and the higher ups and the rich and the whoever to make a change. I think we have to make a change for ourselves. So, so obviously you promote veganism um, mm-hmm. and you're, I would say you're the cool poster child for, for <laughs> veganism, but, and, and you've shown that you and others are showing you can be athletic, um, that you don't miss out on proteins and things like that. Um, is it your desire that everyone go vegan? Of course, but I'm realistic as well. Okay. Like I would love to see the world go vegan. Yeah. Am I realistic? Yes, I'm also realistic. I understand. I grew up in the South. Uh, yeah. I was also a butcher at one point in my life. Interesting. Um, yeah, exactly. The, the vegan that used to be a butcher. And that's why I'm not so, you know, I don't like to be a hypocrite. You know, yeah. like I don't I don't talk trash about people that aren't vegan. Yeah. I, I can tell them, you know, the ins and outs of what I see wrong, but I don't bash anybody. Yeah. You know, like, you know, because I, I understand I don't want to be a hypocrite. Um, you know, my family in Arkansas and Tennessee owns the number one barbecue restaurant all throughout Arkansas and Tennessee. Wow. Um, called Sims Barbecue. Okay. So, so when people hear that, I, I remember I did a speech in, in Little Rock in Arkansas. And, you know, I was, I was very appreciative of the crowd that came out. And, you know, a lot of people in the crowd were not vegan yet. Yeah. And that's why I tried to tell people, like, it doesn't matter what your background is, it doesn't matter where you come from. This is your change. You can do it when you want to. And when I told them about Sims Barbecue being my family's restaurant, they were like, oh, wow, if you can break away from that, then you are. <laughs> like if you can break away from that, then well, yeah, anybody can do it. I, I can tell you right now, you're you're a much stronger man than I am. I there's no way I would be able to. Uh, but uh, I mean, so and and what? Maybe maybe let's even take a step back. Why do you want? Would love everyone to go vegan. Maybe you can give us so for our listeners. What what's, I just what's think the point? For me, I, what I've seen is just there's so many aspects that veganism would help. 
Um, for instance, a lot of people think that I, I get the weirdest comments and emails yeah. and even questions in seminars. And, you know, people literally are like, well, if we don't eat the animals, they'll take over. It's like, no, that's not how it works at all. <laughs> um, first of all, you know, if you think about how cows even become pregnant, if we just mm-hmm. stop at the cow, you know, yeah. this artificial insemination, there's no there's no cow orgy happening out in the fields. It's not, right. <laughs> that's not what's happening. They're not. First and, reference and, to a cow orgy on this podcast. Yeah. First reference. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and, and then also like most animals have a heat, have a season yeah. to where they mate. They're not, we're overpopulating them because we're making them have mm-hmm. calves. And, you know, so when you look at that aspect of it, the natural selection would come back into play where it would come down. Um, you look at that part about it. You look at the pandemics part about it, about eating animals and just look at what's going on now. Where did that originate from? Re- regardless of if people think it was, you know, introduced by man, this and that, it yeah. came from this certain origin of animal agriculture at the same time. Uh, you look at that aspect, you look at the ecosystem, you know, you look at the greenhouse effect and stuff like that. It's like, yes, people are like, well, if you stop driving cars and planes and this, I'm like, okay, you could do that or you can stop killing animals. Like, it's really not that hard. And then you start seeing that people do survive and also thrive Mm -hmm. with eating plants. Um, You know, the plants that we use to feed all the animals in the world could feed all the homeless, hungry, starving people in the world if we stop feeding it to all the animals that we keep breeding just to slaughter in a fraction of their actual lifespan. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, and I'm going to make a shameless plug again. I mean, we, in episode six, we, we had this, uh, we interviewed the directors of this film called Soilism, which looked at this. We had two films that looked at this, at this in a slightly different way. One was looking at the whole global soya business. Now I know soya, and it's not about soya being bad or anything. It's just that how much, but how much land is cleared every year mm-hmm. to grow soya to feed to the animals. Exactly. And, you know. and people think that soy is like, all this soy is grown for human consumption. It's like, no, like most of it. <laughs> these animals, yeah, it's like, I want to say 75%, if I remember correctly, is, is grown for animal consumption. Well, that, I mean, uh, that, yeah, no, I'm sorry to, no, I was just going to say that 75% no, were kind of, I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me from those episodes, but they're, they're of that sort of ilk. They're even 75% of the drugs I think that are made are for the, the vaccination of the animals. Vaccination of the animals. I mean, um, I think the number of livestock has gone up, you know, we're, the yeah. numbers are just astronomical in terms of where how many livestock we had in 1950 versus now and then what we're expecting in 50 years time you know, if, if and, this continues. You, and when you look at it it's, it's funny because you have so many people that are anti-vaccination anti-soy it's like but what do you think you're eating when you eat the meat you know like yeah. it's like these same people have a have a cheeseburger the next yeah. day and they're like they were just so against soy and you know, GMO, they're against GMO, they're against soy, they're against mm-hmm. vaccinations, yeah. they're against antibiotics, all this stuff. And what do you think happens when you go to these restaurants? You know, it's just, it's very interesting to see. So you were, uh, you're saying you're, at the same time, you're realistic. Um, so, I mean, being a realistic man, what do you, I mean, so let's assume that not everyone's going to go uh, vegan. What are you, hoping to achieve with uh well one of the things you're hoping to achieve i know you're hoping to achieve a lot of different things i think right right but uh, uh i would say i would say the main thing is that people wake up and see hey all right at the end of the day if you still want to do that i wish you wouldn't but at the end of the day i want you to have the knowledge to understand what is going on within your body within the ecosystem uh within the animals within you know, another good thing that we that we kind of cover in the film is that people don't understand, you know, a lot of people think that vegans don't care about humans. It's like, well, mm. let's let's look at a, another reference is if you check next to all the factories, all the uh, the factory farming, all these slaughterhouses, you know who mostly stay right next to these facilities all across the country? People of color. 
And one of the things we looked at is that, you know, this one pig farm that we went to, they have, they have three lagoons that are filled with 6 million pounds of pig waste in it. Exactly. Nobody's buying pig waste. Yeah. They spray this pig waste in the air to they call what they call spray fields. And all it takes is a gust of wind and it goes up. So you got houses up to a five mile radius around these factories and farms where they've actually done tests on the walls and the microwaves and the stoves and the bedrooms. And they take samples off the wall and all unanimously have feces living literally on their walls and on their stoves. So imagine the health. So every time you buy a piece of bacon that you act like you can't live without, you're supporting that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think so many aspects. Well, I mean, and you, you didn't have to go far to find that farm. I know that's just down the road from you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Not at all. I mean, again, I I highly, I mean, this to you actually, John, I mean, I, I highly recommend if you haven't seen them already, there's a film called Soilism and one called Eating Animals. And both of them, without knowing what they were doing, came out about the same time. They both went to the same area of North, Eastern North Carolina wow. to look at those same pig farms. They, mm-hmm. uh, the same people who are fighting these, these farms. Um, I think one, one of the films, they were able to sneak in a film, uh, some cameras. There have been different people who've been able to sneak some cameras in but it's the one it's the most secret place probably in the united states beyond no, I, uh, I don't understand yeah. I, and i'm gonna be honest with you keegan and i in all honesty we don't understand why they allowed us to have cameras there like to this day we were like yeah. we we even backed in to make sure if we had to like leave <laughs> we, we were gonna get out of there real fast like yeah. i mean at, at to this day we're like i can't believe they let us film in here you know, and it wasn't a slaughterhouse. This was more of a grow house. This was like, right, right. He, gets, he gets the pigs at five weeks. He, he gives them to the slaughterhouse at 25 weeks. Um, so it wasn't like that kind of atmosphere, but it was just to be around it. It's like you, it's like just being around death for like, mm. even though they, because they know they're, they know what's going to happen to them. Like, I think a lot of times people don't think that animals have any knowledge. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, they, they communicate to each other. They talk to each other. They love each other. They fight each other. They hate each other. It's, it's one big family. It's, it's yeah. the same thing. So that was something interesting to see it, that we had these cameras here and just yeah. got footage of this. You know, and, I, and I, I actually lived in North Carolina in the late 80s and early 90s. And uh, I remember when all those farms were going in and there was some, you know, people were protesting. You know, we had, there were some light protests, but you know, it was all, well, they need jobs in Eastern North Carolina, that kind of thing. And, and you know, in retrospect, you see what's happened in mm-hmm. the last uh, 30, 30-odd 30 years. Yeah. It's just absolutely remarkable. Um, I'm going to actually hold those, hold that thought. I'm going to take us into a, a break, give our listeners okay. a, a little bit of a break, and then we'll come right back with John Lewis, the filmmaker behind um, They're Trying to Kill Us. You're listening to Factual America. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Alamo Pictures to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows. Check out the show notes to learn more about the program, our guests, and the team behind the production. Now back to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with John Lewis, uh, co-director, narrator, filmmaker, Concept guy, I guess, too, of the upcoming doc, They're Trying to Kill Us. So um, we're just talking about, uh, well, we're focusing there on, on factory farming and uh, uh, your, your work with veganism and uh, how you would, you know, how you'd like to make the world a better place, certainly. Uh, yeah. and certainly we could all do our part by having better diets and health and, and thinking about where our food comes from. Um, I think I just want to get back to the film a little bit more because there's an interesting, you, you mentioned it earlier and we haven't discussed it yet, but uh, you, you, well, you've discussed a bit the lens of hip hop um, and how you're hoping to reach people that way. Um, how did you get all these big names to come on? To the- I, I still don't know. <laughs> I still don't know. Uh, you know, I, I will say that fortunately, through my journey of, of social media, um, I've had quite a few influential people that have kind of been drawn to me from what I do. Cause I like, I, I don't take the approach of like, 
hating, you know, other people that aren't vegan or bashing people. So I've gotten, uh, I've been quite fortunate to have people follow me. So a lot of people, I reached out through social media, which they were already following me, or I may have gotten to know them along the way, along the path of my journey as well. John Sally's actually my mentor. So I didn't even ask him. I just told him he was in the film. Excellent. <laughs> I was like, uh, John, you're in the film. He's like, oh, okay, well, I'll check dates. I was like, no, 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 I'm, t- I'm letting you know now. You're in the film. <laughs> and so... Uh, that was my next then, question, actually, because uh, you're in the heart of ACC basketball country, and I, I'm a yeah. fan. And uh, I was going to say, how'd you get John Sally? But uh, Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, actually, um, a good friend of mine is uh, that I actually grew up playing basketball with Mm-hmm. He played at Duke, and now he's like an assistant coach at Duke. So I'm always like, "Yeah, I'm coming when this opens back up." Like, so who, so who is who is that? Uh, Chris Carrawell. He you know, was Chris like, Carrawell. Oh, because he's from St. Louis. See, we I, all grew up together. Yeah. Wow. You see, I, I went to Duke. Ah, there you go. And uh, Chris Carroll is one of my favorite Duke basketball players. Actually, this is excellent. Yes. Yeah, okay. I actually got to see him. It's funny. I hadn't seen him in person since we graduated high school. Wow. And recently this year, since I since I came up here for everything that was going on, I got to you know spend some time with him and his wife yeah. uh, over there in Raleigh. Um, okay. Yeah, so we we had, we have quite a few uh, good basketball players come out of St. Louis. I wasn't one of them, but we had quite a few. <laughs> you're <laughs> making your out. name a, you're making your name a different way, but yes. Uh... Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, so that's how I I ended up with John Sally, uh, wow. Maya. We were, yeah. we actually, her stylist was a client of mine when I was a personal trainer. So we okay. had met before this as well. So I kind of had a, an in with her on that, um, stick from dead prayers. Mm-hmm. I met him through just vegan journeys, uh, being at vegan festivals. I, I used to speak at around 20 to 30 festivals a year. So going to all these festivals, I would meet people from time to time too. Uh, Styles P from the locks. I knew him because my protein shake company, he actually had a flavor under my protein shake company, <laughs> um, which is funny because my two business partners, which were fraternity brothers, they graduated from Duke as well. Yeah. Uh, so there's another Duke connection for you. Um, and so, yeah, it just kind of trickled down the line. Uh, mathematics from the Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah. He, he followed my era because I didn't recognize some of these people, I have to admit. But I saw, yeah, my, yeah. <laughs> I saw my, I saw Professor Griff. But, uh, but we have what yeah, about Professor Griff? Yeah, mathematics was a connection through, I think that was social media as well. I saw that he was following me mm. and I just reached out to him and that yeah. worked out. Um, who was about to say Professor Griff actually, um, I met him at a veg fest in Atlanta and mm-hmm. we just stayed. No, actually I take that back. I met him through a mutual contact in Miami. Yeah. Just, they wanted to have a meeting about something else. And him and I just, we hit it off cause he was vegan. I was vegan. We just hit yeah. it off and we stayed in contact since, uh, Soleil, which is his wife now. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a hip hop artist from back in the day. Uh, we met through social media as well. Um, so rock we met through social media as well <laughs> and like that's why i say that okay, social media has its goods and its bad yeah if you use yeah, it for what it's worth yeah. and use it for good it can it can do good things so yeah. a lot of people were literally through social media uh yeah. neo was through a contact though um so that was good we had a contact with that that just helped us out um yeah it's, it's been a lot of social media work definitely i think Yes, and I think, I mean, a lot of people talk about a golden age of documentary filmmaking, and I think it's, I agree with you, we've even done an episode on the ills of social media, but uh, I think what it's also done is it's just made filmmaking and other, other, other things so much more accessible, mm-hmm. and it's almost democratizing things, you know, people who would previously not had access to this, oh, or, yeah. you know, is, it's, it's amazing from that, that standpoint. I mean, you mentioned Neo, I mean... I just had a question for you because because I, I did the trailer. People have seen it uh, as intro to this show. Um, so because I will also kind of turn to this this discussion that uh, is had or comes out of the um, out of the trailer at least. Uh, he says, "What's going on is not by accident; is by design." Could you maybe go more into that in terms of what he's getting at with that? Yeah, it's maybe. it's 
what people don't fail to realize is that, okay, let's just take, for instance, the food inequality. Yeah. Uh, you know, why, again, and I just, I just had a, another uh, interview that I did earlier today, and it's interesting. I said the same thing. It's like, when people hear about, oh, it's a racist act, it's a racist this, and it's like, oh, well, white people suffer from this too. It's like, yes, but white people that are not part of the 1% that we talk about, yeah. they're just collateral damage at this point. If you're not part of the 1%, the 1% doesn't care what race, right. what gender, yeah. what your yeah. sexual preference is. They don't care about you if you're not a part of that 1%. So you got to understand that when this whole system was put into place, they controlled all the food that a slave ever ate. Mm -hmm. And when I say slaves, I don't just mean African slaves. I mean indigenous slaves as well. You know, mm -hmm. they put them all in the same camp. You know, you, you, so, you know, when you look at that, this system was never dismantled. Mm -hmm. It just got a little weaker. Mm -hmm. You know, we have the money to buy food now that we didn't have back in the day. But once you've been put into a system where soul food was made into your actual staple, which soul food was nothing but the waste and scraps that the owners didn't want to eat. And so what happened was people of color made, black people specifically, made this food into a delicacy for themselves because they had no other choice. Mm. It's like, okay, if I'm not going to eat anything else, I might as well make this the best thing I can do. The problem is now, the problem with conditioning, which is another word for brainwashing, is that the best conditioning and brainwashing that ever has been done is when the person who's been brainwashed doesn't know what happened. Yeah. And so that's what we're dealing with now. So you're dealing with people that d live under a, a system that has that didn't have their benefit to begin with. You still had all men created equal while they had slaves. You know, that's a part of <laughs> that's a part of history. You know, like you can't say all men are created equal and then you're you got slaves in the background mm -hmm. while you're doing that. And that that system has been going on and it still has to be dismantled. So when they say that system, and that's just a, a quick rundown of it without giving away the movie yeah, is, okay. you know, no. yeah, without giving away the movie. Yeah, yeah. We, we, yeah we don't want to spoil it for it. We want people yeah, to see yeah, this yeah. film. So, yeah. Um, but there is a system in place, you know, yeah. that, and, and, and again, it's not that the people in position now started this system, but yeah. they're not breaking their backs to dismantle it either. Well, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, I, I probably, probably because of my background, because of, my race, my gender and everything. I probably see things a little differently, but it, it, it also, it, it certainly now it comes down in that it comes down. It's basically pure greed, isn't it? I mean, people are just, they've got their lifestyles is the upper 1% or whoever, whoever they are. I mean, it's not in their interest to change things, certainly. No. Um, no. And so, I mean, what you described about soul food, I mean, a lot that's maybe I take, give something away. Maybe I'm a little bit more Marxian in my views of things sometimes, but I definitely see it as a sort of uh, class poverty, rich sort of dynamic, but it's, I think it's all the same base. It really, uh, you know, you've got lots of poor cultures who've done the same thing. They've taken the worst cuts of meat and made delicacies out of it uh, and that kind of thing. And I think, uh, um, but what you do have I mean, in one of the one of the films I've alluded to already, they have someone who comes on and says, "Look, this no one went about designing." So, and I'm not debunking what Neo said, but no one necessarily, in terms of like factory farming, decided this is going to be the best way forward and right. do it, and this is our strategy. But it happened, and mm -hmm. because it was the to the benefit of certain individuals, and, and that's where we are, and we're all like you know, don't have the, don't have choice when it comes to, if we're going to buy meat, what kind of meat we're able to buy and, and our choices and food. Um, but do you, uh, I mean, so what do we, uh, I mean, again, not giving away the film, but in terms of, you know, what are you telling people? What is the best, what's the best way to, to, um, to overturn this system, if you will. And, and is this what's maybe let's bring, broaden this out i mean is this i was going to ask you uh we were talking before we started recording i mean what the hell is going on in america right now i mean is it uh, i mean is this part of it is this part of this big convulsion of history that's happening because of all these sort of historical crows coming home to roost yeah i, I believe that what's happening right now is that 
people are people that kind of ignored a lot of things are now being open to understanding and learning. Yeah. Uh, you know, like like they say, like, you know, the the white allies, you know, they yeah. the people that always knew something was wrong, they just knew that they could ignore it a little bit. They could mm. say it's wrong, but they could ignore it because they would go over in their corner of the world and they didn't have to deal with it. I think now people are I think people are putting the right social pressure on each other. I think I think there's no wrong pressure when you're telling somebody to do the right thing. Now you could be horrible with it and, and you know be irate, that's wrong. But if you're telling somebody, you know, that's wrong over there, you know, you should say something too. That's not wrong. I think mm-hmm. that we've gotten to the point where people are so sensitive about subjects. Like if you say the word black or the word white, yeah, people automatically go to like race. I could be talking about a newspaper. Yeah. But if they see black, you know what I'm saying? Like I can say yeah, black exactly. and white and they're like, oh, here we go. It's like, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, 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 no, no, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we're, we're getting to a point where people are starting to speak up because to allude to your first question, the only way that things are going to get better is the silence has to stop. Yeah. And I, and I, that's what I mean. Like, I don't know saying people have to be pissed. They have to be out there. It's just when you actually see something wrong, if you don't say anything, you're part of the problem. At the end of the day, that will always be the truth. Mm. If you see something wrong and you don't say anything, you're part of the problem because you enable that to keep going. Yeah. So a lot of people always say, especially on my posts, they're like, well, you know, Race, the racial divide is an imaginary divide. I was like, well, that's that's interesting because people are still dying because of this imaginary divide. Then, yeah, you know, we, you know, the people think that being silent or ignoring something will make it go away. I said, there's no way that's the truth in all all aspects. If I have a disease, I can't ignore the disease. Mm-hmm. It's gonna just eat me up unless I change something and I take action. If I have bills that are overdue, I can't ignore the bills and right, just think right, right. whatever the bills are for is just going to disappear. You know, like if I'm in an abusive relationship and I can't just say, well, I'm ignore this person in a relationship and everything's just going to get better. Yeah. There has to be action steps. And yeah. many times the action steps has to be the acknowledgement of the problem, first of all. Yeah. And I think right now we're at a we're we're at a space in America where people just want they don't want to acknowledge the problem. They just want everybody to forget. It's like, no, we have to acknowledge the problem so we don't go back to that problem again. Yeah. And but that's we, what people fail to realize. But we've basically been forgetting for 50 years. Cause I mean, a lot of these issues have been just bum- bubbling, uh, well, sort of under the surface and uh, above right. the surface now and then. I mean, even silly things like the naming of sports teams and stuff. I mean, when I was a kid, we all knew. It was right in front of our face. Yeah, I mean, I, I knew, we all knew the Washington Redskins was the most ridiculous name ever. But it took, it's taken this long to, yeah. to change that. I mean, yeah. I mean, teams were, universities were, Stanford used to be the Indians. They changed their name like in the late 60s and things like that. So it's not like this yeah. is all brand new. Um, I mean, we had a the social a, media, like you said, social media. I, now we now we have more access yeah. to things, good and bad, because yeah. some of the stuff's not even real news, and some of it's fake. But we we got more access to see what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I want to. Um, I mean, this gets back to uh, something we were touching on earlier, and you you've you've kind of given already uh, a bit of a synopsis of your of your life, and that. Uh, and I would say, I guess, in essence, you are making a doc about your life, but I was going to say they should make one about your life, but you're doing that. <laughs> um, but, you know, growing up in Ferguson, which is now, you know, synonymous with police brutality. And so you've, yeah. uh, I mean, so you've lived through that and college athlete, entrepreneur, now influencer, filmmaker. I mean, um, um, what's, what's driven you? I mean, you've, you know, from well, going from that I, boy, from that 315 pound, 13 year old boy <laughs> to being who you are now, this uh, young man who's, because uh, I can say that because I'm 10 years older than you, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but you are, uh, you know, uh, to achieve, you, you, something's been, there was something driving you all this, all these years. Yeah, I would have to say it's, it's, and my mom is still alive, fortunately, uh, but it, it would be the spirit that she put in me. Um, yeah. Again, like my mom, my mom picked cotton as a kid in Little Rock, Arkansas. Now, mind you, she wasn't a slave, but she was only getting paid 
since, you know, yeah. uh, my, my brothers and sisters, they were the, they were a part of the groups that went to the first integrated school mm. in Arkansas. And I look at it this way is that if somebody would have never spoke up, if somebody would have never, you know, fought for the right thing, mm. where would my mom still be? If that, if that wouldn't have happened or where would my brothers and sisters be? Or, mm. you know, where would I be even, you know, yeah. if that wouldn't have happened. And I see so many people while it's not, you know, necessarily the same aspect of what my family went through, there are people still suffering for, for no reason. Mm. You know, if, it, if there's a reason and there's a cause, I understand that suffering is a part of life, but we're just basically using people to get certain things done. You know, one of the things that I always talk about, I think I mentioned earlier, is, you know, with the pharmaceutical company being, pharmaceutical industry, being a $1.3 trillion industry. If just 10% of the people that were hooked on some of these drugs mm. got healthy, the whole platform would just collapse. They would go bankrupt. They don't want healthy America. They don't want a healthy society. They don't want that because there's money involved. Yeah. They, could, they could easily help somebody to break their habits instead of prescribing a pill. And I'm not saying all medication is bad because let's be honest, there is medication that is needed. Yeah. But we have medications that help people deal with symptoms of things that if they just stop doing the actual thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a whole, that, I mean, uh, John, that's a whole nother podcast to, to talk about right. the U.S. medical health system and, and, and pharmaceutical company. I mean, it's the most, I mean, I, again, I, I think it's another one of those 75% numbers, actually. I think 75% of the profits in the pharma industry are made in the U S something like that. It's, it's just yeah, absolutely, it's crazy. it is crazy. Um, it's crazy. Well, I mean, it's hard to believe. I think we're coming close to the end of our time together. Um, and it's been fantastic having you on. I feel like there's so much left untouched and we haven't really discussed, uh, but uh, we're definitely looking forward to this film. You're going to have to let us know when it comes out. And if, definitely. If we haven't scared you off, we'd love to have you back on to discuss it when it's ready to go. Hey, maybe I'll be in London. I'll just be there in person. Well, yeah, maybe, you know, we'll keep our six feet distance. But yes, we'd, we'd love to have you. Um, uh, I mean, before we sign off, I mean, what if uh, to all our listeners, we've got a varied uh, demographic of people who listen to this. It's international. Uh, most of it's in North America, but it is an international audience. What, what bit of advice do you want to give to everyone out there? given this opportunity I'm giving you. I I would say, as far as advice is like, and look within and fill yourself with love. I think that's one of our biggest problems right now is that we have so many people full of hate, but they wonder why they can't receive love. It's like, you can't receive love unless you actually are loving yourself. Like people have to love themselves first. Mm -hmm. And I think it's hard to hate people if you love yourself. It, It just... It's almost impossible to hate someone if you love yourself. And I think the more that people have self-love, it'll trickle over to loving someone else. And it'll just, it's like a domino effect or the butterfly effect, depending on how people look at it. So I, I just want to, I want to empower people to love themselves. And, and with loving yourself, that also looks into what you're feeding your body, what you're involving yourself in, the situations, the relationships. You know, if you, if you know something's bad for you and you know you get anxiety or you know you get upset, stop involving yourself in that. That's self-love as well. Mm. So I just want people to, to love themselves. And the more people that love themselves, the more people will start to love other people. Uh, some of us old dogs learn lessons late in life. And I would have to agree <laughs> with you that I think uh, uh, certainly love, I'm increasingly realize, is, the, is going to be the answer to, uh, yeah. to all these issues. And I'm not trying to sound like some hippie or something. Right, I, right, of course. In case, in case my dad's listening, I don't want him to think yeah. it's soft. But, uh, and, and, and loving yourself, to go along with what you're saying, loving yourself doesn't mean you don't fight for what's right. Loving, exactly. loving yourself is not exactly. a weakness. Yeah, I don't want people to think that. Yeah. No, I, I, I think maybe that's the best way to, to end this, uh, in this discussion, <laughs> I think. Um, I want to thank, uh, thank you, John Lewis. Um, filmmaker behind they're trying to kill us where can people follow you uh, i think they can google badass vegan what are other ways what's what's the best way of following you we'll put the, the uh links in the show notes uh instagram twitter facebook 
Snapchat, even though I barely follow it. Uh, yeah. I'm even on Pinterest. You can find me pretty much anywhere. <laughs> hey, if you're on Pinterest, then that's that's the first place my wife's going to be able to find you. Uh, I think uh, the uh, well, that's that's great, and it's all ba- and it's all those different channels are badass vegan. Is yeah, I just kept it. I kept it across the board, make it easy. Uh, it's it's brilliant. It's a brilliant piece of uh, well, I don't want to call it marketing, but you branding, if you will. Um, yeah. Hey, so uh, so thanks again so much for for being on the. Uh, on the podcast and we look forward Thanks to again. having you on in a, in a, in a future season. Thank you so much again for the invite. As I noted previously, this is the final episode of season one. And with that in mind, I would like to take this opportunity to thank a lot of people that have made this first season so successful. First of all, a big thank you to all of our guests. Um, like John Lewis, who's been on now, they've, they've all been an incredible bunch of uh, people, so patient and, uh, and cooperative uh, as I stammer through my various questions and, and monologues. Uh, and if this season's any indication, then I think this is a golden age of, this, this golden age of documentary has many more years to run. Um, this podcast wouldn't be possible without the many hours of hard work behind the scenes. Um, Sure, I'm going to leave out a few names, but I just want to specifically thank uh, our producer, Emmett Glenn, who ensures that we continue to win plaudits for the uh, quality of our, our production and who has really shaped um, this, this podcast and, and the format that I think is now a, a, a winning one. Um, a shout out to our podcast manager, Nevena Paunovic. She makes sure the trains run on time and everything goes extremely smoothly, even when I take uh, long vacations. And yet she's such a lovely person to work with. So many thanks for your, your patience, uh, Nevena. Uh, Malcolm Mann handles the social media side of things for Almo Pictures. And as such, does, not, does most of the heavy lifting when it comes to promoting the podcast. He's as much an expert as me, if not more so, on every episode. And that comes out in his witty tweets and posts. He also manages the official Twitter account for Alexander the Great. So, so do check that out. Uh, Manny Rose Ponitz has uh, taken over the social media duties for the Factual America channels from yours truly, and thank God for that. Uh, the quality is much better, and it's no coincidence that the number of followers, likes, retweets, and reposts have increased exponentially. Laubry Fernandez does all the video clips and has greatly improved our followers' experience um, uh, in terms of, uh, of, of social media. Uh, Danny Drenov. Drenovsi, I'm going to get that wrong, but our, our famous or should be famous Kosovan designer extraordinaire who has transformed the look and feel of the Factual America branding, and uh, we are forever grateful. Um, I want to thank Spiritland Studios, our first home away from home in King's Cross, London. Uh, a big shout out to Alex at This Is Distorted in Leeds for helping us get back into the studio after the lockdown. My family will be forever grateful. And speaking of which, um, thank you to them for their patience. They've had to endure two lockdowns, uh, one of which was inside their home while I recorded episodes from our kitchen. Um, A big thank you to Patrick Scott Armstrong, my podcast brother in arms. Um, What you are achieving at the Lone Star Plate is an inspiration to us at Factual America, and we're always grateful for your support. If you haven't checked out his podcast, uh, please do so. Naz Tavakalifar, host of the Gender Not podcast and one of our first guests. Uh, your advice has been like gold as we navigated season one. Kevin Turley, our inaugural guest. Uh, likewise, his advice about doc films and life in general have been invaluable. I want to thank him for introducing me to Paul Brennan. And I still think I should have been a policeman and uh, gotten my pension. And last but not least, Sebastian Sauerborn. Uh, He's executive producer and founder of Alamo Pictures. It was his idea to start this podcast. I'm still not quite sure why he pegged me for the role of host, but I'll be forever grateful. And finally, a big shout out to our loyal listeners. In this craziest of years, uh, without you, there would be no point in doing what you do. You've stuck with us through thick and thin, and please continue to do so. Have a lovely summer, a great break from it all. Hope you can tune out for a little bit and please remember to like us and share us with your friends and family wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts and this is factual america signing off until september
You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Almo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.